So this morning, Deuteronomy is going to teach us about the subject of prophets and false prophets. So this is going to be an interesting subject. We're going to be looking at prophets and false prophets and how to know the difference between the two. There is, there's a lot to cover. Just kind of warning you here, there's a lot of information. Uh, this, is a very, this is a full message, but I hope that it is interesting to you. I hope that it is helpful to you and that you're able to uh, um, absorb the, at least the, the main points we're trying to get across. So scripture has a lot to say on this. Last week, one of the things that we saw in Deuteronomy 8 uh, was the statement that Jesus ends up quoting later, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We said this means that we need truth from God. We need word from him uh, to keep us not just physically alive, uh, but for for real life, for for spiritual life, for, for eternal life. And so the big question is, how do we get that? How do we get this? And Deuteronomy uh, 18, remember, this is at the end of Moses' life. And God's people in the Old Testament, the the Jews, are about to cross over into Canaan and and conquer that land. And they, they know that Moses is not going to be going with them. He's 120 years old. And God has, has told him that you're not going into the land with them. You're going to die on the other side of the river, and others are going to take over. And probably a lot of the people of Israel thought, well, where do we get our guidance from? And you know, Moses had been writing things, things down. He authored the first five books of the Old Testament. But they knew that, okay, we, right now we can hear from God through, through Moses, who is this great prophet that God is speaking to. But what are we going to do when Moses isn't there. And so that's part of the original context of God telling these things uh, to the people. And God also knows they're going to be going into this new land, and they're going to have all kinds of temptations. The people that lived there, these Canaanites, were into all kinds of terrible, wicked things. And part of their practices, they were into black magic and the occult, and they had their ways that they thought they could see to the other side and to the other realm and find words of, of knowledge from, from the gods and, and secret truth through their occult techniques. And so <laughs> Moses, God speaking through Moses, warns them. Let me read to you uh, at the beginning here. This is Deuteronomy 18, starting with verse 9. It says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, You shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Okay, he's going to be telling you these are things, don't do these things. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, someone that tries to talk from the dead. It says, necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for these nations which you are about to dispossess. Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So this message originally given to to the Hebrews was saying, don't be tempted by this. Just because you won't have Moses with you, uh, don't be turning to these other sources to try and seek out this this secret knowledge to tap into the other side. This is also really speaks to us today too. I mean, there are a lot of people that are into a lot of these things. uh, Occult practices and fortune tellers and you know, Ouija boards and tarot cards and all these things. And if you are a follower of the, the true God of the Bible, these words apply to us too. Say, so don't do that. That is not how you want to try and hear from God. That is not how you want to get some message. All of those things are, are trickery at best and demonic at worst. And there are real forces. There's a real devil and there are real demons and sometimes use, oftentimes, we use those things, you know, to get a foothold in people's lives. And that's why God is 
so serious about this. Don't try to get a word from God or whoever, the gods, in that type of a way. And God's going to give them a better way, an appropriate way that they're going to be able to receive words from God. And this is where it's talking about prophets. And what is a real prophet? Sometimes we have misconceptions about what a prophet is. So we're going to be talking about that. What is a true prophet and how do we distinguish that from, from false prophets, from those that really do not uh, possess and have this, uh, this work of prophecy in their lives? So this first section we're going to look at, we're still going to be in Deuteronomy 18, and this will be about true prophets, and we'll summarize this by saying God would put his words into the mouths of true prophets. And I describe it like that because that's, you're going to see that's exactly what the passage says about the job description of what, what the prophets are and what they do. So let's keep reading in Deuteronomy 18, starting with verse 15. It says, this is right after telling them, don't be looking for fortune tellers and diviners and all that. So instead do this, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. So first of all, just from that, God is saying, hey, Moses, yeah, he's going to be off the scene. But in due time, in God's time, he's going to raise up other prophets that are going to be uh, ones that God is going to give. And he's going to describe this in a little bit. He's going to give his message, his truth through them to you. You've got to listen to them. And by the way, there would be lots of prophets in the Old Testament and also the New Testament. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this, by the way. I mean, he is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, fulfilling all of these, these roles. But there can be other prophets in the Old Testament as well. Verse 16, Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God and see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And, you know, other times, when we've seen in the book of Exodus, that God actually did, you know, speak voices from heaven. If you think that'd be really neat, People are saying, no, this was not me. This was terrifying. This was uh, traumatic, and we, we can't handle this. Uh, we, we can't handle, you know, God speaking to us that directly. Uh, we need some kind of uh, in-between between us and this, this terrifying holy God. And God says, yeah, you're right. That's why we're going to do it this way, through prophets speaking to you. So then it goes on. Verse 17, And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like Moses, from among their brothers, from among the, the Jews, and I will put my words in his mouth. That part there is super important because this describes very concretely what the prophets did. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Key job description of a prophet. And then verse 19 talks about the authority of these prophets. Is it just a suggestion? Is it just, you know, this is the prophet's best guess, take it or leave it? Nope. Verse 19, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. I'll call him to account. They're accountable for these words because it's not ultimately sourced in this human prophet. They're not making things up. This is God putting his words into their mouths and speaking through them. Like I said, sometimes uh, we have kind of a wrong idea about how prophecy works and sometimes the way that we've kind of defined prophecy. Uh, so to try and kind of make this clear about how God does this, how God speaks to us, um, second, I'll be Back in a second here. Now, I'm not in the room with you right now anymore. You can tell that. Uh, but I'm still communicating with you. You can hear me. You can hear the words that I'm saying. You're not actually hearing probably the, the actual sound waves that are coming out of my mouth, but you're hearing me and I'm communicating uh, with you because we have, uh, well, sound speakers that are in the, uh, in the auditorium. So look up, look at the uh, sound speakers that are, that are up there. 
uh, two of them kind of in the front. And that's what you're actually hearing right now. And I say this because <clears throat> prophets are sometimes described as God's mouthpiece. And I think that terminology of prophets being the, the mouthpiece of God is, is very helpful. It's that God would put his words into their mouth. So God is beyond this, this world. In one sense, God is, God is everywhere. He's in this world. But God is also beyond this world. He's outside of this world. And so the way that God communicates from beyond, from beyond this world, is by transmitting that communication, these words, through the, the mouthpiece, the, the, the speaker system, uh, which that's what the, the prophets were. That's how God communicates to us from beyond this world. So there's a few important things that we can understand about prophecy because of this. Sometimes we, when we think of prophecy, we think well, it's about telling the future. That's, that's what prophecy is. But that's not primarily what prophecy really is. Not all prophecy is predictive. Some is. And we're going to see there's a very important role for predictive prophecy but not all prophecy is predictive. Prophecy is about accurately transmitting statements received directly from God, from, uh, from God in the world beyond to our world as, as God's mouthpiece. And oftentimes it has nothing to do with predictions of the future. Sometimes it is uh, commands. Uh, sometimes it is God uh, giving, giving warnings or saying what his will is. It's not always... Uh, prophecies of the future. So that's a helpful thing for us to realize about prophecy and, and what it is. And one of the other things that we can uh, learn from this passage about prophecy as well, too, is that when God was communicating through the prophets, it wasn't just ideas that he was communicating. It wasn't just that God was giving uh, these prophets, you know, a mental image or some vague thing, and it was up to them to describe it the best they could. And maybe they would describe it well, but maybe they wouldn't. It's God being in charge of the actual words that came out, the actual statements, actual sentences, propositional communication. Uh, this way, said, I will put my words in his mouth, not just ideas in their head. And that's why so often we see over and over again, the formula for, prophe for prophecy, thus saith the Lord. And then there's quotation marks. And then the prophet is giving that this is what God gave them to relay to the people. So these are some important things to realize. And the fact that, again, it is authoritative. That real author uh, prophecy here was not just a matter of uh, suggestions. Here's what I think, take it or leave it. But if this really is God's word, then obviously it was uh, without error and it carried God's authority. You couldn't just blow it off. So hopefully this is helpful for us to realize that's what a true prophet is, God putting his words into the mouths of the true prophets. Now the second section of this message, uh, there's going to be three parts of this because we also need to look at what about a false prophet? How do we determine when there's somebody that claims to be a prophet, but they're not the real deal? And Scripture gives us three tests of a, of a prophet. And you have to pass all of these if you're a real prophet. If you, if you fail any one of these tests, you're not the real deal. You may think you're a prophet, or you may be a scammer or whatever, but you have to pass all of these tests. So... How do you know someone is a prophet? Three tests. Test one, we'll say it like this, leading people into false religion is a sure sign of a false prophet. If you lead people into false religion, to heresy, worshiping other gods. And for this, actually, we need to flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. We're going to look there. first five verses. <clears throat> if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams rises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, okay, someone's claiming to be a prophet, or and, and they give something to back it up, something they say, hey, look, this is going to authenticate it. I can do a sign. I can give you a prediction. And, verse two, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. 
So they're even, they're getting some things right. It says, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And here's the consequence for one of these false prophets. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. That was the Old Testament penalty for false prophets. Put to death because he has sought rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So again, we have to remember that these three tests, if you fail any of these, you're not a real prophet because this is saying there could be some that they're even able to do signs and wonders and maybe they're able to give some prophecies, some predictions that even come to pass. And there's ways that this could happen. Uh, sometimes through, through trickery. I mean, there are people today that are, you know, great illusionists and can uh, make things happen. And we see that in, in scripture too, to, to fool people. And there's also the possibility of Satan being at work too. And, and, and demonic forces that sometimes can really be behind this. And sometimes there could even be supernatural things that happen. And we don't know the exact extent of what God allows Satan to do, but there could be things that this God, God is allowing this to happen. And people need to realize this still isn't of God because it's teaching us things that are contrary to what God has told us. You know, going after false gods or teaching us, us heresy or something like that. And, I mean, demons too. I don't believe Satan knows the future. I'm going to talk about that again in a little bit. But Satan is really intelligent. And he has been around a long time, and he's really good at guessing things about the future. And he knows a lot about this present world. And he has a network of demons, you know, and they can communicate. And so there could be times, you know, where some, uh, a false prophet is giving information, like how, did, how would you have known this? And maybe it was transmitted from one demon to another to this, this false prophet. So if this is saying, even if you see things that look like signs and wonders and it's coming true, if it's leading you into heresy, into false worship. Don't believe that prophet. This is a false prophet. And there have been examples of this in the Old Testament and even afterwards. You think of the whole uh, religion of Islam. It was founded because Muhammad you know, claimed that uh, angels spoke to him and gave them this, this additional revelation. And he's, he's this final prophet from God. Or you think of Mormonism and Joseph Smith claiming to receive revelation that he said was from an angel named Moroni and giving him, you know, extra things that weren't found in the Bible. And the Bible is not enough. Here's the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and these other manuscripts. Galatians 1.8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That <coughs> if... Even if there's miraculous things happen, if it's leading you astray, leading into heresy, it's not the real thing. It's a false prophet. So that's the first test of a false prophet. So test number two, and this is a, this is a big one. We're going to be spending a lot of time looking at this one. If there was one test that is like the test of a prophet, it would be this one from Deuteronomy 18. Failed predictions are a sure sign of a false prophet. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 18, pick up where we left off. <clears throat> God had said he was going to give prophets, he was going to speak to them um, <clears throat> through prophets, putting words in their mouth. But then it continues here, verse 20. <clears throat> but the prophet who <clears throat> presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So here, at first, it's referencing, there's some prophets, they're teaching people to worship other gods. They would fail the first test. But there might be other ones that, you know, maybe they're not necessarily going against Scripture, or, but maybe they're still speaking presumptuously, making things up. 
You know, a real prophet is one that God is putting his word into their mouth. False prophets, basically it's the other way around. They're putting their words into, into God's mouth, claiming that God said something that God didn't really say. And it says, this is a serious thing. The Old Testament punishment for this was, was death. It was serious because it was a serious thing to lead people astray. And they wanted to have this serious warning so that you're not frivolously going around, you know, claiming to speak from God. It was a serious thing. Think twice about it. Okay, but how do you know? How do you know if someone is? And God realizes they would have this question, verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? So it's not saying here, how, how can we know what God has spoken, but how do we also know when someone's faking it? When you have a false prophet that's claiming to speak from God, uh, but, but they really aren't. The, this is a false message. How do we know the difference? Because maybe people, they, they want to obey if it's really from God, but how do you know? And so here you have this test of a prophet, which is really this crucial, important one. God directs and says this, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. They're just making stuff up. You need not be afraid of him. You don't have to obey him like you would if it was a real prophet. Uh, he doesn't have authority. He's telling you something that, that's not true. So let's explain and think about this a little bit, how this, how this works here. So you have prophets, they're, they're claiming to speak from God. How do you know if it's a real one? What they would do is they would give not just prophecies of the distant future, because how are you going to know if that comes true? I mean, you will eventually after you're dead. I mean, things Isaiah predicted about the coming Christ, it was like 700 years into the future. Um, there's things that Christ, Jesus, predicted and told us about the future, but, I mean, that's still future, you know, for us. So in addition to giving sometimes long-term predictions of the future, they would also give short-term predictions, things that would happen, you know, maybe in a few months or a few years or during the reasonable lifetime of, of these people. And normally, oftentimes they would give several of these, and depending if these things came true or did not come true, that would authenticate whether that prophet was, was the real deal. And so even think of the life of Christ, Okay, things that he predicted about, you know, Peter's denial. They saw that happen. Jesus predicted, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to crucify me. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. All these things that came true and authenticate, yeah, Jesus really is (laughs) a prophet from God. And he is God. Uh, And therefore, we know the things that he's told us about, you know, the distant future have come true. He predicted the fall of Jerusalem that happened in 70 A.D., We also know that Jesus is going to return. So the short-term prophecies validate the long-term prophecies. So that's what prophets would do. And the reason that this worked is that, I said Satan is a good guesser. You know, Satan can guess at the future, but I do not believe that Satan knows the future. Okay, he doesn't really know it because Satan is stuck in time like we are. But God is outside of time. He's not bound by time. He created time. He sees the beginning from the end. Isaiah talks about that. That's just one of the characteristics of who God is. So if God is really speaking through these prophets, he's not going to get it wrong. He's always going to get it right. And that's why for the test of these prophets, it's not just you get it right once in a while. Anyone can get it right once in a while. They had to be consistently correct in this. The true prophets were confirmed by consistent, 100% accurate predictions of the future. I th- think that explains how this, this test of a prophet in Deuteronomy 18 really works. And again, it had to be consistent. You can guess right once in a while. That's, that's easy to do. I mean, if you wanted to guess, you know, what would be the scores of football games later today, you, might, you could do that and you could come back and say, look, I got these right. You'd also have a bunch wrong, too, but don't mention those. Just mention the ones you got right. 
my first year when I was here, it was before we called Pastor Nick, and I was still working with the, I was working with the teens as well on, on Wednesdays. And I was over in the Willow Center, and I had a bunch of uh, students around me, and uh, we're in the, in the basketball court, and I was at, at, uh, at, at half court, and okay, I'm, I'm not this basketball superstar, okay, that's part of this. But I had a basketball here, and I said to the teens around me, I said, hey, watch me make this half-court shot. And I took the basketball, and just like this, I threw it, went right in, and I just did this and just kind of walked off. <laughs> like, I just knew it was going to happen. And see, I can tell you that now and make it sound like prophecy. I called it, didn't I? Is it prophecy? No, it wasn't. Uh, was it tremendous skill? No, it wasn't that either. Was I, I got lucky and I'm bragging about it? That's exactly what it was, okay? And if I didn't make it, would I be telling you this story? No. Uh, do you think I've missed half-court shots? Uh, pretty much every other one, okay? But if you only emphasize the times that you make it, you can make yourself look pretty good. And so it's not enough for profit to just get something right here and there. You have to get it right consistently if you're a true prophet. Otherwise, you're failing this test. Many of the cults obviously fail this test. You have cults um, that have predicted that Christ would return on specific dates, and those dates come and go. And then they say, well, now it's this new date, or this, this date. Um, I can't remember how many of the Jehovah Witnesses have given and revised as far as Christ is going to come back and then he doesn't. I don't know if you've heard of Benny Hinn, this famous faith you know, healer on, on TV and a uh, crazy rich guy. Um, he has made a lot of prophecies over the years. He prophesied uh, way back in the day that Fidel Castro, you know, the ruler of Cuba, that he would die sometime in the 1990s. If you remember, that didn't happen. He died in the year uh, 2016, quite a bit off. He predicted that the homosexual community in America would be destroyed by fire before 1995. He predicted a major earthquake would cause havoc on the East Coast before the year 2000. He's wrong on all of these. If you judge him by Deuteronomy 18, he does not pass the test of a true prophet. That would be false prophecies, making him a false prophet. This leads to a question. How do we evaluate the claims of prophecy today? And there are those people that would claim that God still gives the gift of prophecy today. But I think we need to look at what they actually say. What, what are claims that they also make? And does this match Scripture? Do they pass the Deuteronomy 18 test? There is um, a, a charismatic prophet named Bob Jones, different from the Bob Jones University guy. When this guy was asked if he had made errors, he replied, quote, Oh, hundreds of them. There's a group called the Kansas City Prophets, and at one point they reported they were thrilled because they reported that two-thirds of the group's prophecies were, were proving accurate. They're thrilled, two-thirds. Well, okay, yeah, that's not 100%. That's two th- that's even if you're right on this, you're still admitting you've got a third of your time that it's wrong. Uh, somebody else in this movement named Rick Joyner uh, gave a statement. He said, quote, There is a prophet named Bob Jones who was told, I think by God, supposedly, that the general level of prophetic revelation in the church was about about 65% accurate at this time. Some are only about 10% accurate. So some of these prophets, just 10%. A very few of the most mature prophets are approaching 85 to 95% accuracy. Prophecy is increasing Impurity, but there is still a long way to go for those who walk in this ministry, unquote. Now they're excited that, well, it's getting up from, you know, 10% to two-thirds to some of these 85, 90%. But what is the Deuteronomy 18 test? It's, it's not saying get it right once in a while. It's, you have to be right all of the time for this to be legitimate. One of the books <coughs> that I've read um, on prophecy was by a man that was uh, making the case that prophecy continues today. And in this book, his, his name is Jack Deere. He wrote a book called Surprised by the Voice of God. 
And one line that really stood out to me from this book was this. He said, quote, I don't know any prophetic people today who are 100% accurate. I mean, this is somebody in the circles of, of people that are claiming to be prophets and admitting he doesn't know anyone that would claim that they're 100% accurate. So again, you weigh this against what, what is Deuteronomy 18 saying. As far as another kind of current example, I want to show you a, a video clip. It's about three and a half minutes long. It's sometimes he's a little bit difficult to understand, but I think you'll get the main point of this. Um, but I edited uh, some clips together to give you kind of a feel of, of this. Um, the guy's name is, is Sean Boltz, and he has a ministry called Your Prophetic Journey. And he'll teach people how to be prophets and how to, to learn to be a prophet yourself. And I appreciated his honesty in this, in this one video that he has. He talks about when things go wrong and taking responsibility for the prophetic. And I think this is just helpful for us to, to look at and just kind of to evaluate from somebody that would be, cons- considers himself an expert in this and, and teaching this to people. So if we're ready, if we could, we can watch the video. One of the most important things you're gonna have to learn in your prophetic journey is how to not always have to be right. It's not about information. It's not about being right. We've been taught this Old Testament model, like if you aren't right, you're not real. If you're not right, you're gonna get stoned or whatever. The reality is in the New Testament, we're each justified by our own faith because we each hear from God ourselves and we have repentance through the cross. We can actually just say, oh, I'm sorry for that. I missed that, that didn't work out. And we're each accountable for how we hear from God for our own lives. If I say something to you and it doesn't work out, it shouldn't derail you. It shouldn't cause your life to change because you're supposed to be listening to God for yourself. And that's such a different philosophy. Well, I want to tell you a couple stories when it didn't work out for me. And one of them was really funny. So I went with them and I said, okay, I'll speak there as well. And so that first night I decided to start with words of knowledge and start with the prophetic. And I, <laughs> I did seven words of knowledge in a row. It was wonderful. Like I said, it's this woman's name here. And I think you have this birthday that you might have brown hair. No, nobody. Is there somebody here who has this in your refrigerator? And this? I forget what the words were, but they were like very specific. All of them failed so hard. And I said, well, you guys, I'm not sure why that happened. I'm not sure why there's no one here that matches the descriptions that I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me ahead of time. But the good thing is, I'm still a good teacher and I still have time to teach you, which was the second part of the thing. And I'm going to go ahead and teach you. I'm sorry it didn't work out. Maybe I'm modeling that uh, risk. Sometimes there's failure and risk and we're all learning. We're all on a learning journey. I just want to encourage you. Sometimes you're not going to get it right. And sometimes the testimony of how you handle your heart when it's not right is as important as when it is right. And I remember this girl, Jessica. She's one of our really good friends. I remember I'd given her a word. I forgot all about it. A year before, I was pretty young in my in my ministry, a year before I'd given her a word that she was going to transition from her job and start working with musicians locally. And she was going to help represent them and administrate for them and do more of her artistic stuff and whatever. And this didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. And I, I realized I've walked with this girl. I know the word hasn't happened. But I've never gone back and said I was sorry. So in front of everybody, I said, hey, Jessica, I gave you a word a year ago in front of a group of our friends that you're going to work with musicians and stuff. And I, I, I don't know. I don't think that word has happened, has it? She said no, and she looked really intimidated. And I said, well, obviously I'm a false prophet. And they all started laughing. And I said, no, obviously, like I gave you a word out of a place of zeal and passion for you because you, you know, you told me you love musicians. And I think my heart just wanted the best for you. You were in a dead end job that you didn't like. And uh, at the time, that's how you described it. And I just wanted you to have something more. And I think my, my human sentimentality for just my, my friendship for you got in the way of how I was hearing from God. I'm really sorry I never took responsibility for that. Can you forgive me? And she's like, absolutely. Thank you so much. That means so much that you would apologize. Because what I didn't know is in Jessica's heart, she didn't believe in the prophetic anymore really for herself. She, she believed in a bigger way. But as far as like, she's like, this doesn't work out. Like I've had three words. They all haven't come true. And there must be something wrong with me. I said, Jessica, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. As a matter of fact, I think God is going to touch you with art. I didn't know I was going to prophesy to her. I just started prophesying. I think God is going to touch you with art. He's given you the ability to produce finances through art and creativity that will really satisfy you. And don't give up on that. God's put that in you. And she's like, you know, gets tears in her eyes. She's crying. And shortly after that, she wrote her first children's book and illustrated it. And so the thing is, it doesn't mean you're consistent in accuracy, you're consistent in taking responsibility. So for me, I've, I've had many of these times where the words didn't work out. I've had to go back and take responsibility. Sometimes it's real time going up to somebody at a coffee shop. I've done this three times now where I go up and I ask 
does this make sense to you? And I'll, I'll tell them something and they're like, no, not at all. And I immediately want to run away and be like, okay, thanks, bye. And a lot of times I'll stay and just stay engaged because it's not about the word, it's about loving them. So I'll say, hey, I'm a Christian. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And they'll always tell me there's something they could you know, receive prayer for. And so when it's about your prophetic being right or it's about you being powerful or profound, you're going to fail. All right, so it gives you kind of an idea of kind of the state of um, the teaching about this at this time. I'll admit, there's something about this guy, I, I find him likable, okay? There's something, I want to like him. There are other clips I could have showed you where some of these people are just obvious, you know, uh, just look crazed and demonic. You know, this guy seems actually like a, 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 like a likable guy, but there's things he said that, that really trouble my heart. I mean, there's a part where he talked about he was admitting to this girl Jessica that he had told her a false prophecy and they joked about, oh, I guess I'm a false prophet. Uh, just laughing that off. I'm like, oh, God takes this really seriously. I mean, read <laughs> Deuteronomy, read the book of Jeremiah. Uh, God is not okay with this. Uh, this is not something to just kind of laugh and shrug off. You, you, this isn't helpful for you to, to be claiming this and to be, be teaching people to do this. And yeah, we don't, you know, kill false prophets today. That, that, penalty from the Old Testament, we don't apply that, but we should still be taking this really seriously. It's a really serious thing to claim that you're, you're speaking God's words. And at the end of the video, I don't know if you caught this, he talked about going up to uh, someone at, at a coffee shop and uh, trying to have some, some prophecies about them that just all missed the mark, he fell flat on those. And they said, hey, you know, just, can I, I'm trying to love you. Can I, can I pray for you? Can I buy you a coffee? And I thought to myself, just start with that. Wouldn't that be the best thing? I mean, leave the parlor tricks, you know, aside and just, just love people. Be kind to them and, and serve them and tell them about Jesus. Just, just cut to that part and just leave out these, these other things. He talked about this lady, you know, this woman, Jessica, that uh, he gave these, you know, a prophecy to, and she said that she had received three prophetic words and they didn't come true, and then, you know, finally at the end, he gives one more, and that one, you know, comes true. Um, well, one thing is, uh, realize there's ways you can, you can speak wisdom to people. You can say things like, you know what, you know, I do think this could be a good career path for you. I, I see that in you. And you can say, you know, based on what I know from scriptural principles, yeah, this, this kind of makes sense. I'm not claiming to be a prophet, you know, but based on w wisdom and what I know about you, yeah, this is a good thing. Or maybe the other way, maybe you want to reconsider this. You know, that's okay to do. Just don't claim that it's a, a prophecy from God. And so at the end, you know, he got, the, he got it right after the, the fourth time and she published a children's book. But that's why it's important to remember that the test of a prophet is to get it right 100% of the time. And remember, even a broken clock is right twice a day, okay? Even a blind squirrel gets a nut once in a while, okay? So you can be right once in a while, but to be a legit prophet is being right all the time. So if we think about this kind of putting Scripture together, matching Scripture with what we see in the world today, it, it leads me to a conclusion about what is going on with, with, with prophecy. Are we in a time period where God is giving prophets? Or are we in a time period like between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where there was 400 years, where the Old Testament was completed, and they had to wait for, for John the Baptist and the start of the New Testament era? So if we think about this, and we recognize things that we've seen from this, this video, um, Jack Deere saying that he doesn't know of anyone that's 100% accurate. If we put things, these things together in kind of a logical format, according to Deuteronomy 18, if a prophet's predictions are not 100% accurate, he's a false prophet. Those are not true prophecies. Okay, so we have that from Bible. How do we match that with what we see in the world today? It is admitted that none of the people today who claim to be prophets are 100% accurate. If those are both true, then the conclusion is... Therefore, there are no true prophets today. And that's why I think we're in this time period where um, we, we have the revelation from God that we need, and we have it in the Word of God, and that we're not receiving new revelation, new information uh, from God. 
And I see that based on the, the Deuteronomy 18 test. And I think it also matches other things that are taught in Scripture as well. In Ephesians 2.20, it talks about the church, okay, the body of Christ, okay? And it says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So when they built a building in those areas, they would have a, they put a big square stone down first, and then everything would be measured and based off of that. You had one main cornerstone. You didn't keep putting new cornerstones up. You had one. There's one Jesus. There's one, he's the one cornerstone for, for, the, for the church. But then what's the rest of the foundation? And it says it's the apostles and the prophets. And so I don't believe that we have, we have apostles and we have prophets today. We, we need their work and what they did because they're the ones that gave us this. God transmitted his truth through them and it got written down in the Bible. And just the same way as when, if you have a home that you built and you built your concrete foundation and after that you built other things upon that, but you don't keep building a, that foundation over and over again. You always need the foundation. You're always building upon that but you don't lay a foundation again. So we need the written record that, of the prophecies that the apostles and the New Testament and Old Testament prophets gave us, but we rest on that, but we don't need that again. We don't need, just like we don't need an additional cornerstone being given. Now I need to deal with this um, because there's a, there's a common claim that, well, maybe there's not the same type of prophecy today. There's not like, thus saith the Lord type prophecy, but maybe there's a different type of New Testament prophecy that's different, that has, um, that's not thus saith the Lord. It's not like super um, authoritative. You know, you can consider it, but maybe you don't have to. And also they say that it's not necessarily without error, that sometimes this type of prophecy can have mistakes it doesn't have to be 100% right all of the time. So it's kind of a prophecy light. And there are many, and sometimes people that I really respect and appreciate um, as uh, <coughs> theologians or other pastors that, that have this view. And you might have run across this. So I think we need to think about it <coughs> a little bit. Is there a lesser form of a prophecy today that has mistakes, that has <coughs> errors? It's not thus saith the Lord. I want to summarize by saying I don't see anything in Scripture that changes prophecy or changes the test for prophecy from anything different from God putting his words into the mouths of the prophets. And if prophecy is God putting his words in the mouth of the prophets, I think it has to be inerrant. How do you have God's word that has errors in it at all? I don't believe that for this word, and I don't think that makes sense if it was a spoken prophetic word if it really was God's word. And if it's really God's word, how could it not be authoritative? How could you just take it or leave it? I mean, if it really was God's word, you have to obey it because God is, is saying this. Now, I'll say this. In a sense, um, there's ways that even uh, Pastor Nick and myself act as God's mouthpiece, in a sense. And sometimes people have even described prophecy as, as preaching, okay? But I, th- I, I, would, I would rather not use that term for that um, because I think there really is a difference. I, you know, it is our goal for us to communicate to you God's word and be God's mouthpiece, but we don't do this directly. We do this through the Bible and trying to communicate to you what the Bible teaches, okay? So that's, that's a different type of thing. Um, but in this view, it's other messages from God, but they might have errors uh, in it. And the main evidence <laughs> that they put forward for this, kind of the, the, the main exhibit, is from the book of Acts. In the New Testament, there's a prophet named Agabus. And we need to take a little bit of time to look at this so, it, so you know about this. And they say that this prophet Agabus is a prophet of God, but you know, he doesn't quite get it right. He kind of gets it wrong. So we have to look at this claim. Agabus, this prophecy is in the book of Acts, chapter 21, starting with verse 10. And this is right before Paul is about to go back to Jerusalem. Okay? 
And it says, And while they were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt. That's important, Paul's belt. So he, he took it off of Paul, and he does something with it. And he bound his own feet and hands. He tied himself up with Paul's belt and said, quote, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, one thing that is said about this is they say, well, you have contradictory things. Is this authoritative or not? Because if Agabus is telling him, don't go to Jerusalem, if it's not God's will, you, you, you're commanded not to go, and then Paul disregards that and goes anyways, well, then it seems like this is a prophecy that doesn't have authority. But we need to look at the passage carefully. And by the way, Paul does, eventually, he, he goes, and he says, uh, it goes on and says, says in verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. This is not a take it or leave it prophecy because look at, Agabus never actually commands him, don't go to Jerusalem. The actual words here are just saying, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be tied up by the Jews and they're going to hand you over to the Romans. And that's exactly what happens. So first of all, this is not a prophecy that was take it or leave it. They'll also, sometimes they'll say, well, Agabus gets some of the details wrong. And they'll say, look at what happens later and how this works out. It doesn't, they say it doesn't quite happen the way that Agabus claims. So we need to read a little bit further in, in Acts 21. So this is after Paul goes back to Jerusalem and you get this angry mob, okay, that comes out uh, of, of Jewish people that they're angry with him. Verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. And these are the Jews because they're from Jerusalem. And they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And <clears throat> at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort. This is the, the Roman authorities, okay, because they're like the, the guards and kind of the police. So imagine you have like mob violence after someone. Now the, the police hear about it and they're going to get involved, okay? Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once uh, took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Okay, the police are here. Let's back off. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. So the claim is, Agabus, he, you know, he got it mostly right, but he didn't get it all right because really it's saying that they were delivered into the hands of the Romans. Well, the Romans here, they came and rescued them. They say, well, that's, that's different. And they say, well, I, he was supposed to be tied up with a belt. And this says it was the Romans that tied him up with chains. They say, so Agabus, you know, his prophecy wasn't completely correct, but he's a prophet, and so now we don't have to hold prophets to the same standard. Well, even if this is all we had, there's ways we could reconcile this. And there's a lot of times where critics will say, there's a mistake in scripture. And you have to realize, yeah, but there's ways to explain it. You know, one gospel says there were two angels and one says there was one angel. Yeah, but it doesn't say there was only one angel ever. You know, it, there, it could be it just mentions one. Uh, you know, there's ways to explain these things and there's ways we could explain this if we just had this. But we also have Paul, his own description of this at the end of the book of Acts. So the bet, at the end of the book of Acts, uh, Paul gets shipped to Rome and in there he's telling some of the, the Jewish leaders about his experience and, and this is what he says in Acts 28. It says, After three days, he, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So, first of all, this matches what Agabus said. He said that... Uh, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns us and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Okay, it wasn't just he was being rescued. Uh, he, was, he was delivered into their custody, into their, uh, now he's a prisoner of, of the Romans. 
And also you have the idea of, well, what about the, what about the belt and the chains? Well, first of all, notice it never says anywhere that no one ever bound him with a belt. Okay, it just doesn't, it just doesn't mention that. And so it'd be easy to say, well, okay, the Jews bound him with a belt, and then the Romans, they bound him with a chain. But also there's another hint embedded in this as well. In the word prisoner, that's there in Acts 28. The word prisoner, uh, if you look up the Greek meaning of it, it has the meaning of one who is bound. And that's what it means. It means one who is bound. And so we put all this together and realize, okay, we can tell what happened. The, the Jewish mob, they swarmed uh, <laughs> Paul. They, they didn't have something to tie him up, so they grabbed his belt and they tied him up with that. And then when he's given over to the Romans, well, now they have you know, their own stuff, so they're going to tie him up better with their chains, and that's what they did. And so I don't see anything in here where Agabus is off at all. I think his prophecy matches what really happens. So I don't see this as evidence that there's some kind of lesser form of, of, of prophecy that's going on today. I mentioned some of the people that hold to this view are people that I do respect. Um, Wayne Grudem holds to this. I really, a lot of things about his systematic theology book that I think are otherwise very good. I think some of them, what they're trying to do is they're trying to talk to those that are uh, kind of way out there in you know, kind of charismatic movement, really into thus saith the Lord prophecy, and trying to talk them down from that. I think that's what's going on. Um, but I've realized kind of the way that sometimes they describe it, I would describe what they're doing, what, what's going on, as more of the, the biblical category of the Holy Spirit's work of illumination. And I think what illumination is, it's different from revelation. That's where God is giving brand new truth illumination, you know, if we shut off all the lights here and if it was nighttime, you wouldn't see anything that's in this room. But if you turn the lights on, you would see the podium. You would see the pews. The lights don't make these things um, come into existence. They show what's already there. And I think there's a work, and maybe you've, I hope you've experienced it, where God is helping to guide you, but it's through the word of God that you have already internalized into your heart. You've, you've learned biblical principles. You've learned biblical wisdom. And the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that wrote this book, is helping you to understand and to realize, oh, you need to apply this now, or this is how this needs to happen. And it's not giving new information, but it's, it's shedding light on what's already there. And I think God does guide through that. And so I would say, don't, just don't call it prophecy. This is, it's, can be oftentimes God working but it's illuminating the truth that he's already given us. And it's through the word of the God, the written word that he has given us. <clears throat> we have a last test here. I told you this can be a full message, so we won't hit a lot on this, because this one isn't from Deuteronomy, but I want to give you all three of these tests. The last test of a false prophet is a lifestyle of unrepentant sexuality and greed is another sign of a false prophet. One place that we see that is in Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. So many of these, they're into all kinds of uh, sexual sin, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. So we see here um, two things. It's the lifestyle of these false prophets that can be a, a sure sign that they are, they are false. They're not true. And two of the things that are specifically listed are sensuality. And we've seen over and over again, you see these prominent supposed Christian leaders and sometimes people that are on TV and all this and it comes out they've been having affairs and doing all kinds of uh, you know just things that this is not what the Bible says you should be doing you know a lot of sexual sin very often and so that's common of these these false teachers and also greed just a love of money and going after that and so many they use uh, their false teachings to exploit people some of these you know false teachers that are on TV 
Um, you know, just saying, you know, if you want to be healthy and wealthy, send in your donations to me. And they're living large. They're living in their mansions and driving their big cars and uh, living an expensive lifestyle, taking money from people that can least afford to give it. <laughs> See some of the houses these people have? This is for real. This is Kenneth Copeland's house. So pretty good there. You can tell, look at the right, it's on the water too. So uh, some of these guys make millions a year. Some of them tens of millions, some hundreds of millions a year exploiting people. This is a guy, Creflo Dollar. So on TV, his last name is Dollar. Okay? And I think it took many of them to, to buy this. Jesse Duplantis, this is uh, his home. <laughs> I'll tell you this. You know, I used to feel really content and blessed uh, with the way that the church takes care of the pastors here. Uh, but after seeing some of these pictures, <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. We're very content and, and very, very, very blessed. Let me give you a book recommendation. If you want to read a really good book, I never thought I would give a recommendation from a guy named Hin. Okay? But um, this is a book by a guy named Costi Him, C-O-S-T-I. And he's actually the nephew of Benny Hinn, the health and wealth guy. Okay, it's a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. Really good read, really easy read. Uh, but he talks about his lifestyle growing up in this. And his dad was part of the Hinn clan. And uh, he was being groomed and raised to be one of these, you know, uh, faith healers and raking the big bucks. He talks about the mansions they lived in, uh, going on these, uh, staying in hotels that costed, $10,000 a night uh, driving around in his brand new Hummer and all of this and uh, this was going to be his, his life. He was going to be the next one in line and God got a hold of his heart and opened his eyes that this was wrong and he started getting better discipleship and biblical teaching. He got saved for real and he actually now he's a conservative uh, Baptist pastor um, and he wrote this book. A really good book. I really recommend it but a lifestyle of sensuality and greed, another sign. <clears throat> I want to leave you with a positive note, okay? Not just talking about false prophecies. So then how do we have God's word today? Do we? Can we have that? Can we have it with certainty? So the last point here. God's word is certain and sufficient for us in the completed scriptures. You can have God's word. You can know it for sure. You can even... Crack open this Bible and study it with other people to make sure that you're not misinterpreting it. You can look at it together in, in black and white. God has given us this word, and we have God's prophetic word written down. <clears throat> Second Peter talks about this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture... Okay, so it's prophecy, but it's prophecy of Scripture. It's in the Bible. It's written down. comes from someone's own interpretation. The real stuff is not made up. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's really helpful for us to understand how God gave this book. Uh, the prophets and the writers of this were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God used their personalities. He used things that they knew but the word borne along or carried along, it's the same word as the wind carrying a sailboat along. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is directing the writers of Scripture to write down exactly what God wanted written down. And 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This, this book is sufficient for us. It is complete. It is, it is enough. It is all that we need. So if you want to hear from God, if you want to hear God's word, we have God's word written down for us. You're saying, well, I want a fresh word from God. Well, guess what? You have a fresh word from God. This is as fresh as it's going to be. Okay, this book never gets stale. This book, it's like the ink is still wet. God is beyond time, and he knew what needed to be written down for people in uh, the Middleville area in 2020, what they needed to hear. And he wrote it, and he's speaking to you through these words that are written down. So no, we don't want to put words into God's mouth 
But we do need words that are from his mouth. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And if you want to hear God's word, go to the Bible. Let me tell you, I'll give you this. Maybe you you want to hear something prophetic. Maybe you want to hear a fresh word from God. I'll finish. I'll give you a I'll give you a fresh word from God, something real fresh, and something that God has given to you, and something I say, this is, thus saith the Lord, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Truth. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you that you are a God that has spoken to us, Lord that you are not silent, you have spoken to us, and we have the prophetic word made certain and complete in the Bible, Lord God. Let us hear it fresh, Lord. We thank you that the same Holy Spirit that caused these words to be written also speaks to us today through the Bible, Lord God. And we thank you that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. And we thank you that this tells us of your deep love, that you loved us that despite the fact that we are sinners, that Jesus Christ was sent so that anyone at all that turns to Jesus in faith, trusting him as Lord and Savior, would have eternal life. Thank you for your word. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.